This is Will Friedle, the voice of the future Dark Knight, Batman Beyond. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. And remember a few things. First, Dana deserves better. And second, I am Batman. In the year 2039, Gotham City has no heroes. Its people, no hope. Its youth, no future. Evening, boys and girls. Who's up for the Terry McGinnis was part of the problem. You can't control your temper, and you're better if you expect to get anywhere in life. Yeah, I'll be a big success, just like you. Until a moment of violence brought him to the door of a man named Bruce Wayne. Let's put a smile on his face. Leave him alone. Once known as the Batman. You okay? Now, the Dark Knight will rise again to drive the shadow of evil from the streets of Gotham. Let's go! Super villains, beware! There's a new Batman in town! Batman Beyond! You're pretty strong for some clown who thinks he's Batman. I am Batman. Justice returns to Gotham. Welcome to my world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 192 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, as he always is, my good friend and good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account, it's Liam. Liam, we are still here in our month spent in the future, 50 years from now, whenever now is, or the year 2039, or whenever you want to say that Batman Beyond takes place, but we are here once again with the future Dark Knight and, uh, and everything that comes along with that as we continue in a month of uh, reviews from the future. That's right. We are, in fact, in the future reviews, as you said, Cal. And uh, we have a just a fascinating episode to talk about today for a lot of reasons, uh, most notably if you are a fan of science fiction and really one, one, one giant uh, amorphous uh all-encompassing science fiction brand in particular uh that being star wars of course but uh, we will be talking today about the batman beyond episode centuries last cosmos that is right and uh boy if you wanted to know uh what would happen if uh if uh if you took a uh, a a just a, a giant homage and to Star Wars and said, uh, "Hey, let's make a 22 minute cartoon out of it." Uh, boy, are you in luck today? Because there's a, as Liam mentioned, a lot to talk about when it comes to that. Also interested in hearing Liam's thoughts on uh, on the plot as a whole. It's a very interesting episode. Uh, don't have a lot of memories of this episode. I think, I, I mean, I was definitely more familiar with it than I was with last week's episode, Liam. Don't remember necessarily watching this one a whole bunch. Uh, so it was definitely some of the plot points were a little bit new for me. And uh, doing some digging on this one, there was some fun research about some of the the characters and the who people are based on and certainly lots of conjecture about that. But we'll get into that in just a little bit here as we do review uh, <laughs> centuries of the last 
Cosmos today, which originally aired on the Warner Brothers Kids WB back on May 6, 2000, meaning we are coming up on the 22-year anniversary of this here episode. Liam, before we get into talking about our four categories today, we, of course, we have the yet-sponsored IMDb official synopsis for this week's episode. That is right, and this is for the episode Centuries of the Last Cosmos, which was written by Rich Fogel and John Shirley, directed by Dan Reba, with music by Christopher Carter and animation by Coco and Dong Yang. And that synopsis reads as such. Ardent players of in-depth virtual reality role-playing game are recruited by the supposed game for his own purposes. Mm. Well, I'm not a fan of the words that were actually chosen to describe, and it, it sort of leads you to not, it doesn't really say much about what the actual episode is about. So um, I, I'd give that one like a D. So it doesn't mention Batman. Batman's in this, the Batman show. He isn't a whole lot. I will give, I will, I will say that it's not, it's not a lot of Batman in this episode, but I guess we can, we can get into the plot as we talk about this today. But uh, if you ever wanted to know what it was like, what people thought the metaverse would be like in the year 2000, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is very relevant to today's topic, uh, a virtual reality and, and looking at uh, reality. I was going to say, yeah, we, we open with a, a sort of a sci-fi romping adventure straight out of, as you said, the metaverse. I mean, uh, you know, Facebook founder and Hall of First Ballot world ruiner Mark Zuckerberg would just be <laughs> he would he would be in love with something like this. Killer move, Corey. How'd you beg it? Got to go with your instincts. Good instincts. You just bagged the all time high score. Yes. No fair. You must have logged a gazillion hours on that game. Maybe more. But for the first time, I really felt it, you know? Like I actually was a sentry of the last cosmos. Ah, hey, watch it! Or what? You're gonna bop me with a flaming sword? Get a life. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's... Uh, Terry, Max, and their friend Corey are uh, seemingly under attack by... Uh, by some some evildoers in a spaceship and they're sort of flying around on these little uh, it's kind of the little uh mr miracle like disc yeah uh, floating floating disc uh things mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever you call those but they're sort of flying through and they're in these sort of costumes we'll certainly talk a lot more about this stuff in visuals but uh right when it seems like all is lost Corey pulls off an incredible maneuver and and we of course get the reveal that yes of course this isn't real this is a another virtual reality game do you think this is based on that same thing the spellbinder did that was making all the kids brains have aneurysms or whatever yeah i was gonna say like i guess back in the year 2000 they thought that arcades were going to be a big thing in the future i mean obviously Mm -hmm. the foresight of not or the not having the foresight of a global pandemic that would shut down the entire world for multiple years (laughs) Uh, certainly may have inhibited that from happening, but yeah, they really, they really went all in on man, computer, computer games are not going to isolate people and make them not have their, 
you know, be have less interactions with human beings. They're going to be more interactive and you're going to hang out with your friends at the arcade. Uh, so yeah, this is, it's, it's similar, I guess, similar technology that we've seen in those spellbinder episodes. And interesting also that the Gotham arcade seems to be the hip and happening spot for, uh, socialites of all, uh, ages and, and, uh, so, and social clubs here, as we also see Nelson Nash make a brief appearance at the, uh, at the, at the same arcade. Yeah, so uh, we he and uh, Corey, we sort of get a little bit more about this Terry's friend Corey, who becomes sort of one of the main characters of this episode. Uh, in that he's 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 clearly a little bit put upon, doesn't really seem to have any interests besides this video game, Centuries of the Last Cosmos, and seems to kind of consume his life. The next day at school, he and Max are discussing something, and all he wants to talk about is the game and Max is sort of bringing up, Hey, you could at least, you know, maybe play another video game and or something, um, <laughs> which is like, I love how low that bar is. It's not like she's not telling him to touch grass or like, or like exercise more. She's like, maybe play a different video game for a little bit. But uh, uh, while, uh, while he and Max are discussing this, Corey gets an email by claiming to be the inventor of this, uh, this video that he's obsessed with and uh, it invites him to yeah, the stately manner if you will of this uh of this creator of this massive uh, apparently very popular uh centuries of the last cosmos game look if we tweak these codes we can design our own century scenarios don't you ever think of anything else i mean there are other games yeah right got mail Oh, my God. What? It's from Simon Harper. The guy who created the centuries? No way. Yeah, the, the great wise one himself. He's like a god, and he's inviting me to Sentrycroft. To where? His private estate. Nobody goes there. So what's he want with you? Yeah, he gets the invite and he uh, he's very excited about it. Max doesn't find this very weird at all. By the way, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, back at the arcade after setting the high score for the game, there is this like ominous guy that shows up with a camera that is dressed just like the characters uh, inside the video game that is apparently spying on Corey and he mm. you know flies away shortly thereafter and then of course we get this email from the creator inviting him to the the headquarters or the mansion where he lives very normal thing for a grown man to invite <laughs> an underage child to his mansion uh and uh where Corey's parents were in this we don't know but they apparently signed off on it because Corey shows up not only by and he's actually not alone there's two additional young men who are joining him and uh, as they enter the the uh the mansion of one simon harper who is the creator we learn of the centuries of the last cosmos game uh they are met by what appears to be a hologram of him uh he is dressed in full robes and uh and he is uh what do they call him the wise one yes the wise one is his uh his sort of stand-in but this is sort of the the all-knowing uh the all-knowing uh, sort of good guy, the Gandalf, I guess, of this uh, of this sci-fi world is uh, this wise one, which is apparently 
uh, based formed by the uh, the creator of the game. Yeah, so the wise one is there and he is uh, he's greeting them and explaining to them that he has recruited them based on their 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 high scores and has been observing them and has recruited them to the actual centuries of the last cosmos that is taking place that the game is simply based on uh, a reality that is happening out in the actual cosmos and he's about to send this group of children on a mission. And uh, we then, we then uh, see later on that evening as Batman uh, is, is out on patrol, there is a break-in at a, the hall of records and he is sent there by Bruce to investigate. And upon his investigation, why didn't you know it? He comes upon uh, three young men dressed in these centuries, of the last cosmos costumes who are, really doing a lot of destruction in this uh, in this place. They're tearing things up and they do battle with Batman and they they pretty for a bunch of teenagers with fire swords. They kind of hold their own against the Dark Knight here. They uh, they don't have too much too many problems. They kind of destroy what they have to. And uh, it's the dialogue that they have as they're destroying things leads you to believe that Either they're seeing something that isn't there and an alternate reality, perhaps, or they are they've been convinced that whatever it is that they're destroying is central to the actual game itself. Um, So uh, as as they they sort of have this uh, brief interaction with Batman, this conflict, they uh, are able to escape with little to no worse for wear, uh, happily destroying and Batman sort of is left stroking his chin afterwards uh, and then meeting up later on at the school, uh, Terry Terry is actually conversing with Max, who had been previously playing the game, and she finds it very interesting that the the uh, people happen to be dressed up like these sentries of the last cosmos just after Corey got this email. So she suggests talking to Corey to see if he knows anything or if it happens to be a coincidence. And Corey is a little bit uh, off-putting, I would say, at this point. He's not forthcoming with any information. They ask him about his experience at Simon's mansion, and uh, he says it was a big joke and uh, drives off on his motorcycle, which I guess uh, in Gotham, you you don't have to be like 18 to have a motorcycle license, or maybe maybe he is 18. I don't know. Maybe that solves our problem of of an underage gentleman being invited to a a grown man's uh, mansion, but... Uh, yeah. So from there, uh, I think at this point, Terry and and Max both suspect that something may be afoot uh, based on his reaction and how excited he was before he left versus whatever happened uh, and his reluctance to be open about exactly what was going on at the mansion. So that uh, that causes Batman to head back to the mansion himself to do a little bit of investigating of his own. Yeah. So this is a. Uh... Part of the, the part where this story starts to break down a little bit for me is Batman goes and he's sort of attacked by these security drones. He fights them off. And then, and then he sort of comes face to face with this, uh, this uh, alleged creator, uh, Simon Harper, who, you know, he questions him about, you know, I, I had people dressed up like game attack me and attack the hall of records in Gotham, you know, what's going on. And Simon Harper kind of just brushes him off and tells him, you know, I, you know, I have a lot of crazy fans and people dress up like, like my characters and, and they, and they take things too far and I'm sorry, but there's nothing, you know, I don't know anything about it and there's nothing about it. And so Batman, I, I will give Terry some credit here because he doesn't just, just leave and, uh, 
and forget he does he does forget when he gets attacked by the drones that he can turn invisible but that's you know that's just a, an eternal point of uh of uh frustration self but uh <laughs> yeah we have uh we have we have terry leave he actually leaves a little uh, a little camera behind so that he can kind of eavesdrop on the conversation as patman uh, escapes and or leaves and and leaves behind a little recording device. We uh, we get the the three centuries returning Corey and his two friends. And Harper tells them, in fact, that uh, uh, that not only are they uh, are they doing the right thing, but that the the evil that they're fighting is actually the same evil from the uh, the video games, and that all of the things that they've been experiencing in the virtual world are in fact real and uh he is and and that they they must go and uh, and put a stop to this evil one who is uh who is threatening their life and so you don't know anything about those sentries at the hall of records i'm sorry i wish i could be more help but Sentries, to me. What happened, wise one? The Dark Region's servants have been here. We'll find them. No, I have a more important mission for you. The Dark Regent himself is here on Earth. <gasps> He's taken on a human form, disguised as a man. Elden Michaels. Elden Michaels? What are you saying? Centuries of the Last Cosmos is no mere game. It simulates a real war, one being fought in the deepest reaches of space for centuries. We wise ones have used it to recruit trainees like yourselves. Now, you must confront the Dark Region to save our universe. As the as Harper lets them know that the Dark Regent, as he calls the, uh, the, I guess, the supreme evil character from this video game, is, is real and is on Earth and is disguised as a man named Eldon Michaels. And... Of course, Terry is able to overhear that with the camera, and uh, and so he and Bruce do a little bit of sleuthing, find an address for Mister Michaels, and uh, as as Batman arrives there, he uh, he sort of is is briefly attacked by Michaels, and uh, who who pulls a gun on him, uh, and and is uh, after that he sort of questions Michaels about why he would why he would attack and why why Harper would be after him, and he explains that he in fact is the actual true writer and creator of this, uh, this giant, very profitable sci-fi world. And, and that, uh, that Harper is simply trying to eliminate proof uh, of the fact that, uh, that he had something to do with it for fear of uh, having to do a fashioned profit sharing if that uh, if that uh, info was to get out. And so the centuries arrived to, uh, to, I guess finish their mission and attack what they be, uh, what they believe to be the dark regent, but uh, in reality is actually just a uh, sort of jilted uh, writer of the uh, of the game. Yeah, and that leads us to to sort of the culmination as uh, as the sentries arrive uh, after Batman learns the truth, they do finish their attacking 
on this Eldon Michaels character. They then uh, very quickly whisk him away uh, to, I guess, to face Simon Harper in person. Batman is left there. And uh, interestingly, it first appears that the evidence that that uh, Mr. Michaels had in his possession uh, was uh, burnt up, but then later on, Batman goes picks it up unharmed. We'll talk about that in visuals. But uh, as Batman flies and, and meets them back at this uh, at this Simon Harper's mansion, uh, we have our final battle here as as uh, Eldon Michaels is brought be- before him, and uh, the he he the the sentries, these children, are instructed to murder. Eldon in front of uh, in front of Simon right then and there they question uh, based on the 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 oath taken by these sentries and whether or not that it would be right for them to do so upon their questioning uh, we of course get the reveal that Simon is able to shoot lightning out of his hands and begins doing his best Emperor Palpatine impersonation uh, attempting to kill Mr. Michaels himself Batman thankfully arrives and is able to spare <clears throat> all of the uh, spare Eldon and uh, eventually is able to overcome Simon, uh, revealing that his powers are stemming from, in fact, a, uh, a suit that he's wearing that was creating this sort of illusion that he was uh, he had these powers. So uh, his uh, his arrogance and uh, his his uh, faith in himself was ultimately his undoing. Wouldn't you know? So uh, at ju- and just at the end, when after Simon is is overtaken by Batman, he requests that the sentries come to his aid, and they instead uh, hold their light light swords or their fire swords uh, to his throat instead, uh, recognizing that he is the true evil. So we get uh, we get a little bit of Terry and Bruce in the in the Batcave. Batman sort of or Batman being Bruce uh, sort of joking about how these poor kids uh, don't have anything else to, to do with their time now that they're their hero and the game is sort of offline. Uh, but then we cut to a final scene of of Eldon Michaels uh, getting an apology in person from the three kids, uh, Corey included, and then beginning to pick his brain about the actual evidence uh, that he, in fact, was the original writer of this video game and get all the answers that he can perhaps provide to them and being the creator. So what do you want? You left this at Century Croft, Mr. Michaels. It's too important to trust anyone but you. Thanks. Wait, what did the wise ones mean when they said seek the center? And why did they send Aaron to Parafara? And the Golden Feather, what's with that? Hey, it's just a game. But you know. You're the man. Yeah, the real wise one. Well, if you really want to know, it all started a long, long time ago in a cosmos far from Earth. Uh, so he wraps it up with a nice little bow and a, well, it all happened a long time ago, a long time ago in a cosmos far from here. So uh, if it wasn't on the nose enough for you as a Star <laughs> Wars homage with everything else, we uh, we wrap up with that very poignant ending. So. Liam, that will bring us, I think, to beginning to discuss our plot. Um, 
since I went first last week, I will just ask you, how did you feel about the episode? So I think there's a lot of like funny moments in it. I think the comedy really lands in this episode and it, and it's a lighter episode because of the subject matter. It kind of takes, I guess, a little bit of a darker turn once you get into like, uh, you know, people stealing credit and when he tries to kill his, uh, his former business partner and everything. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's a funny, fun episode. And, you know, the, the nerds sort of trying to out nerd each other when they first go to the manor and, and then the, uh, the, the, uh, the, some of the, the dialogue that, uh, that, uh, that Eldon Michaels has with Batman and then with, uh, and then with Harper later in the episode, I think are, is really, really funny. So there's definitely stuff in here. I like, I will just say as, as a story, um, it's, it was a little difficult for me when, when we established that these three uh, teenagers, um, one are, are capable enough to commit like high level corporate, uh, corporate <laughs> espionage and sabotage two that they willingly did it. And then three later in the episode, after they've already committed the, the sabotage of the, the hall of records or whatever, because I guess the cloud is another thing that didn't exist in, right. in the year. So destroying the hard copies of these, uh, these files is, is going to delete all credit for, for Michael's having created the game. So the thing that, that, that sticks with me really is uh, they, in that scene, they have not yet been told or convinced by the, the bad guy that all of this is real and, and whatever, and they're fighting in a real intergalactic war. At that point, they just think they're, I guess they're just doing some light, like they're committing crimes willingly, <laughs> and they haven't even really gotten to the point that they've been duped into thinking this is like, real and there's some evil magical force that they're trying to keep at bay then they are convinced of that and then we get to the finale and because batman is able to produce a script uh that has written by eldon michaels on the front of it that is enough to snap them out of it right and maybe it's just because we've we've you know seen a lot of like real life uh cults and conspiracy theories pop up but um uh some words on a piece of paper, whether they are real, whatever, uh, or even if it's, you know, the most blatant, obvious uh, proof of something you can imagine. Uh, if you're if you're able to convince these people uh, to willingly go along with the theory that uh, they're literally pawns in an intergalactic war based on a video game, the idea that you could snap them out of it by showing them a script with someone else's name on the front of it. Uh, I think I just think it starts to break down. Maybe I'm maybe I'm coming at it a little too hard or for for an uh, for an episode that's kind of as silly as this. But that's that's kind of where my head's at. No, I, I don't think you're too far off from where I left left things. So I I came up with a series of questions. Um, one, why did they destroy things in real life? Uh, I thought that maybe it was going to be revealed that the masks that they were wearing sort of did the spellbinder thing where they Mm -hmm. thought that they were in a video game and that, you know, the Batman was actually not Batman. Like they're in Gotham city. They know that Batman isn't directly related to the dark side of the force or whatever the standard, you know, the standard that here is. So let's that I was confused by. I was like, okay, so they're, they're, 
doing this corporate espionage. Speaking of things, uh, by the way, that I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg would be a fan of, uh, taking <laughs> taking credit for somebody else's work in corporate espionage. Uh, uh, please don't kill us, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, but but uh, anyway, uh, so you have you have that where they're destroying things in real life. Also. Did the kids not have to face charges of any kind for doing this corporate espionage? They willingly did it. Yes, at the behest of the guy that ran the video game, but that doesn't mean that they just don't face any consequences. And they're revealed at the end to just show up, by the way, at at uh, at Eldon Michaels, who, by the way, Batman had a hard time tracking him down because there was no record of where he lived online. And then all of a sudden the kids are able to, he, he either went back to the same place that was, that was destroyed in the, in the fire or, or it was just now super easy to find because, you know, everything's okay. And Simon Harper's behind bars, you would think. So I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of holes in this that don't make a whole lot of sense. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, I think the things that you brought up are very important, very poignant as well. Uh, for all those reasons, I did not like this week's episode, to be honest. I think it's very cute that they decided to do an episode that was sort of somewhat an homage to a lot of science fiction. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. here uh, that, that can be that are nice little cute nods and winks, but I really, in the grand scheme of things, would rather have had a episode of Batman Beyond that didn't uh, revolve around what if there were a whole bunch of uh, fanboy obsessed Star Wars knockoffs that were somehow recruited to destroy records because uh, somebody was trying to take sole credit for a a video (laughs) game creation. Uh, That just seems like an episode like we've gotten so far from like the original grounded <laughs> stories from Batman, the animated series now like this, this, this is so far gone from that. Like I, I could have done without. This. It is wild to look at. Like if you go, we just passed the anniversary of, I believe of rebirth uh, parts one and two airing uh, for the first time. And it's like, that's that future of that world that is set up in that first episode. It's this like, grimy like blade runner future where like there's a bunch of bright neon that's sort of built on the decaying bones of an old broken city and you know the poor live below and then take like a subway elevator up to uh you know to go to school or go to work or whatever and it's like it's this just this real gritty like again like probably uh, ironically he gets name checked in here a philip k dick uh you know dystopian sci-fi setup and and yet uh by this point yes we're doing it's virtual reality and and three kids in in samurai in sci-fi samurai suits with uh with fire swords uh floating around and like i said being convinced to do to do many crimes and a attempt to murder batman at one point right and and someone else um but uh I, I, and then i guess i guess they don't they're under their their hearts not in the murder because they do capture uh the uh the, the person they believe to be the dark regent rather than kill him and, and that actually angers uh simon harper at one point but yeah i like i said i think there's some really funny moments in this and i'll, I'll talk about them a little bit more in uh, in voice acting probably but overall just not a not a strong episode uh, narratively speaking from uh, from what we from what we've talked about other than the the jokes and the and the 
the overt sci-fi homages, which are fun. So I, I settled on a four out of 10 for my flat score. Yeah. I went a tick lower. I went a three out of 10. I, I just, I did not like it at all. And there wasn't a whole lot of Batman either. Like, like, and in mm. the past, that hasn't been a bad thing necessarily. Cause you get a lot of storytelling, but you introduce a character that is never seen again in Corey. None of this has any effect on how the rest of the show goes. Although there is a mention apparently of this in both Zeta and a uh, later episode of Batman, the, the video game itself is referenced, but it's really, there's, it, it's just very silly. And I don't, I didn't find the comedy. Like we've had episodes that are comedy. One of our, our favorite, ep, some of our favorite episodes uh, from Batman Beyond that we've reviewed over the last year or so, including Terry's friend, Dates a Robot and Egg Baby are, are generally pretty comedic storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of humor in both of those, but th- they're also well-written and enjoyable stories. Uh, this I don't feel was super well written and it just, it doesn't feel like Batman for the majority of it. So I think a little bit more of Batman uh, also Batman, not getting his butt handed to him by three video game nerds, I think also probably could have, there could have been some <laughs> other way to to have them escape that initial uh, interaction that Batman sort of getting his took his handled to him, handed to him. So uh, yeah, three out of 10 for me, four out of 10 for you. All right, Liam, well, let's move on to visuals. So uh, visuals and animation that we'll talk about. I believe you said Coco and Dong Yang were responsible for mm-hmm. this week's animation. Uh, what did you, uh, as you mentioned, so many Easter eggs and, and nods to classic sci-fi. Not only just Star Wars, though. I saw at least one nod to Lost in Space. And I'm sure there's lots of others in there. Uh, this maybe a Star Trek or two nod as well, but uh, overtly a lot of Star Wars homages within the within the visuals there. Uh, what did you like when it came to uh, to the visuals for this week? Yeah, I think that is the most fun. Is uh, I think the the background artists uh, on this week's episode definitely definitely went to town and really designed some intricate stuff. I think all the all the props you sort of see and in uh, Harper's mansion and everything I think are, are fun. There's nothing, there's nothing I was waiting for like the more overt, like obvious star Wars parody stuff. And some of that comes in, in the form of dialogue. In fact, uh, of all people, Jar Jar Binks gets a, uh, a name <laughs> check from Terry at one point, uh, which I, maybe that's why they didn't. Maybe there was some internal logic of like, if we're going to make this joke that implies star Wars is real, we can't have this thing. That's clearly just a knockoff of star Wars. Like, because I because I think my thought at first was okay. This is in the DCAU. Centuries of the Last Cosmos is their Star Wars, but apparently Star Wars also exists. Right. Yeah. Based on that, so yeah, yeah, we don't get like a ton of like super overt stuff, but you do have uh, definitely some some funny strings, including probably maybe the most overt one might be when uh, when uh, Corey first arrives at uh, at Centurycroft, the uh, the the mansion of of Harper. A, uh, a, a video camera, you know, asks him to state his business and it's in this deep booming voice and then sort of it's on this long sort of controlled uh, like crane arm and it shoots out and it's uh, it's right out of uh, one of the first scenes in Return of the Jedi. 
Yeah, that that along with the the gate that opens up sort of resembles a uh, a gate that uh, is featured in in Return of the Jedi as well. Um, I I think that clearly the the ending with Harper uh, with the hood on and the uh, electricity shooting out of his hand, as I mentioned, is probably the most overt uh, <laughs> homage to to Emperor Palpatine and also in Return of the Jedi. Uh, but uh, as, as I mentioned, there is a uh, there's an appearance of a robot at Eldon Michael's apartment when Batman first arrives. And uh, that robot appears to be an homage to the 1960s show, which was then also rebooted as a movie in the late 90s and then also rebooted as a Netflix show not too long ago, uh, Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the robot there sort of fe- sort of uh, resembles and then uh, the dialogue, the famous line, danger, 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 Will Robinson was uh, the line from from the show. This robot doesn't quite get to the Will Robinson part, but definitely screams danger multiple times. Uh, but uh, yeah, I will say that I think in that first scene, I think the first scene was the most interesting for me uh, with Terry and Max and Corey all inside the video game. I thought the color palette actually resembled a very Justice League Unlimited style almost. Uh, you had like a, a yellow, purplish, uh, kind of a, a brighter hue, a lot of brighter hues that you don't generally see in Batman Beyond. Um, obviously, we know that the darker, grittier Neo Gotham tends to be uh, tends to be the focus. And, you know, nighttime, lots of battles and stuff like that. And when things do stand out, they may be neon in color, but usually don't get a lot of oranges and, and fuchsias and all of that. So I thought the color palette in that in the video game scene was actually really great. That's why I was hoping for maybe maybe the uh, the reveal that the helmets themselves were uh, revealing a similar sort of landscape. Uh, But uh, yeah, no such thing. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, other than that, I think that uh, obviously the the dark regents reveal to be this sort of uh, heavy set bearded fella. Um, now there's a lot of conjecture, Liam, I, we talked about this before we started, uh, started going on the air here, but there's a lot of conjecture, uh, across the internet about who Eldon Michaels is supposed to resemble. Um, I thought, and my head went right to, uh, a longtime comedian, uh, Bruce Valanche, who is, <laughs> who is a, who is a, just Google Bruce Valanche. You may not know him by name, or you may only know him by name and not know his, what he looks like, but, uh, he's, he's been around for quite a long time. He's a comedian, a writer. Uh, I think I remember him specifically from being on Hollywood squares a lot in the nineties, but, uh, so Br- Bruce Valanche, uh, I think is the spot on look for this. And, and I had no idea. I was like, well, why would they model this guy after Bruce Valanche of all people? Like that makes no <laughs> sense. Bruce Valanche doesn't have anything to do with Star Wars until I realized, thanks to Bruce Valanche's Wikipedia, that Bruce actually does have a connection to Star Wars. He was actually credited as one of the writers on the quite infamous, and I apologize for anybody out there who is not a Star Wars fan. This is going to mean absolutely nothing to you. But the 1978 televised one time only and then attempted to be erased from the from the memories of everyone, uh, CBS holiday Star Wars holiday special. Uh, that featured a lot of a lot of things. It was basically just a cash grab and a uh, intellectual property licensing gimmick that CBS did that year. It was a 
basically a variety show <laughs> turned into uh, using the Star Wars intellectual property. Uh, obviously, Star Wars fans, if you're somewhat of a Star Wars fan or you're a nerd, uh, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. But <laughs> Bruce Valanche was responsible for writing part of that fever dream that turned into a uh, <laughs> turned into a an actual television special. So. Uh, I don't know if that's why they went with him as the as the model. I, like I said, there's a lot of conjecture that says that maybe he's a hybrid of a couple different characters, including George Lucas, um, also the gentleman responsible for creating Dungeons and Dragons was mentioned. Um, I think there was another uh, another movie critic or something that was sort of referenced also as potentially being visually uh, based on. But to me, I'm going with Bruce Valanche because uh, he he just looks like Bruce Valanche to me. So that's very interesting and led me down the rabbit hole of discovering that Bruce uh, is responsible for for one of the worst things ever or partially responsible for writing one of the worst things ever on television. So uh yeah. Well, if nothing else, if we've gained nothing else, we know we know quite a bit more about who to blame <laughs> for the Star Wars holiday special. And that's that's good to know because, you know, they they deserve to be punished for what they did. Uh, but anyway, we, we have, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, a lot of overt uh, Star Wars and other sci fi homages in the visuals, including, of course, probably most obviously, as you mentioned, that that final scene in the uh the throne room, very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi, complete with the the bad guy uh, with a in a dark hood and shooting lightning out of his hands. Of course, as you said, we find out as, as as at the end, the suits kind of the robes and the hood are kind of burned off of him, and we see it's this sort of very teched out uh, super suit that he's wearing. But uh, it was uh, uh, he sort of has that look of uh, of course of the Emperor from Star Wars. Um, so like I said, I, I like some of those, those more overt, uh, uh, sci-fi references. There's definitely some Star Trek and, and as you mentioned, some other, some other great sci-fi properties, uh, referenced in there. I think in the background of, of Eldon Michael's house, there's also like a got what appears to be like a, a Godzilla statue and, and some other, it looks like some other stuff on, on the bookshelves and stuff. I wasn't quite able to make out if there was anything specific. But uh, like I said, I definitely think the uh, one of the, the MVPs of this episode is definitely the, uh, the background artists. But uh, yeah, overall, uh, the action itself, it's, it's fine. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. There's like I said, there's other than if you, if you have a little bit of a, uh, a uh, if you don't enjoy seeing Batman get beat up, that's, this is probably not the episode for you because he does get beat up a lot in this episode i like the comedic bit of when um when eldon michaels uh, first shows up and he's this you know seemingly dark figure with these green glowing eyes and he fires uh fires a gun at batman and then as soon as batman throws the uh the batarang to disarm him you you hear him say ow and then the lights get flipped on and he's just this you know this chubby little nerd i think that's there's definitely some fun visual comedy as well but uh yeah i kind of went back and forth on this because i do love all those homages i don't i don't think the action itself is particularly spectacular but uh i ended up settling on a seven out of ten for my uh visuals and animation yeah, I went uh, I went just a tick lower. I went six out of ten. I will say that the the little bit of continuity that didn't make a lot of sense, as I mentioned, as we were discussing the plot is when Batman uh, is presented with the evidence 
that uh, that Elden has that shows that he is the rightful creator of centuries, the last cosmos, uh, as as he presents it to him, the centuries arrive and we see that uh, through an exploding something or other that this this evidence begins to catch on fire, which kind of leads to a tension point It's like, oh, my goodness, well, how is he going to prove now that he is the, the sole creator? But then. As the sentries fly off with Eldon, we see that Batman picks up the the envelope containing the information and it is no longer on fire. It doesn't show any worse for wear. So I don't know what happened there. If there was originally going to be a plot point that led to Batman having to discover more and it just was overlooked in the in the uh, perhaps in the storyboarding aspect or if it was some liberties that were taken by the by the animation team or what what happened there but it it very leads to a very confusing next moment when batman picks up a perfectly fine copy that has not been damaged so uh for those reasons i i deducted just a a single point for that but uh yeah six out of ten and seven out of ten for for both of us there we go all right, Liam, moving on to our next category, which is going to be music. Uh, music, as you mentioned, by the amazing Christopher Carter, I believe, for this week's episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I I got to say, so last week we mentioned that the music was more traditionally orchestral and that put things sort of out of balance. Uh, I had a lot to say. You can check out that in the archives at dcaureview.com. This week, uh, again, once again, the music is definitely more orchestral to me. I think that there was a case to be made for it to be more orchestral based on the fact that uh, these characters uh, were in this, uh, in this video game world Mm -hmm. or were living in this video game world. Plus the very overt homages to star Wars, um, I think the the musical pieces that uh, that stuck out to me, there's uh, initially when when uh, Simon Harper is revealing to the the group that he's recruited uh, the, mm-hmm. the mainframe, you know, that which is this room that appears, you know, to be sort of like a dome looking out into space. Um, the music is very, very reminiscent of the very famous Star Wars musical uh, piece, Binary Sunset. All the last Cosmos games are connected to this computer. From here, I keep track of many things, including the player's scores. Shui. You three represent the cream of the crop, the highest scorers in all Gotham. You are here because each one of you has shown extraordinary aptitude. To us, Last Cosmos is more than a game. Yeah, it's our whole life. Your devotion reflects a profound commitment to the ideals of the centuries. But are you ready to take the next step? centuries of the last cosmos yes uh which is if you know anything about star wars you likely know the song uh you can plug that into uh into youtube if you want to pull it up but it's it's one of like the three main themes that is frequently played over and over again just amazing piece by john williams uh the the, just just an incredible legendary 
uh, you know, um, a piece that he put together there mm-hmm. and orchestrated. Uh, but that one stood out to me. And then for the rest of the, the rest of the episode, it seems to me that the sort of main theme for the centuries is a takeoff of the, the, the piece that he did for star Wars, the empire strikes back called the asteroid field, which is another, uh, it's not, as, not quite as big as the main Star Wars theme or maybe Binary Suns, but it's, it's a piece that if you're a Star Wars fan, you are, it's easily recognizable. It takes place in, in this main, main scene of, of Empire Strikes Back where they're flying through an asteroid field and being chased uh, in, the, in the Millennium Falcon. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a piece that if you know the, the points to it, you can match up kind of what, what the inspiration was drawn off of. I loved the fact that he gave these sort of direct homages to these pieces. There was a couple of notes, of course, that were changed up. He couldn't use the the pieces uh, beat for beat or note for note, but he'd put enough of a spin on it to make it unique, but also enough of the homages in there for, for fans to kind of pull out. Yeah. I think that's it from the, from the first moment when they're, they're in the game, there's definitely, elements of the uh the what feels like the kind of the main the main title of star wars like the maybe the version you would hear over to the credits of a, of a star wars movie the a bit more fast paced to it but uh yeah there's almost start to finish it is there's a lot of musical easter eggs and homages to uh to star wars and 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 i'm sure other uh sort of classic sci-fi and um, and yeah, and like you said, and that's that is a point I I thought that is absolutely favor uh, compared to last week's uh, kind of awkward or, or interesting choices made in the in the music last week is that this episode is all about paying homage to you know classic sci-fi Star Wars predominantly, but also as you said Star Trek and and uh, and Lost in Space and other things like that. So it totally makes sense to have a you know, a very classic orchestral, uh, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, you know, sci-fi opera soundtrack to it, because that's, you know, that's what this is representing. So I thought, I thought the music was, was pretty great um, start to finish. And uh, I ended up settling on a pretty strong nine out of 10 for my music score. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength with that one. I also went with a nine out of ten. It's really good. Um, I think I think the only thing that I would have would have loved to have heard was maybe a, a more orchestral version of the Batman Beyond theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, something that that would have kind of married our our traditional rock heavy synthesizer, uh, guitar heavy, drum heavy. Uh, Batman theme with with a more orchestral classic theme there that sort of married the theme for the for the entire episode but uh, it's it's really strong and it's it's really stands out and I think pulls up a lot of the action uh, or lack thereof I think sometimes in in some of the scenes so 
Um, plus, like I said, as as a Star Wars fan myself, I appreciated the direct homages and the, you know, the nods to those those just fantastic pieces by the amazing composer uh, John Williams. So uh, also has his own connections to DC, of course, with the uh, the traditional Superman theme being his piece as well. All right, Liam, let's move on to our final category of the day, and that is going to be voice acting. Not a large cast this week, but certainly uh, in addition to our normal cast, a recognizable voice or two. Uh, let's talk about this week's voice cast. That is right. We have some some big names there. One one very big name in particular that I'll, uh, I'll save for a little bit here. But yes, we have playing our uh, our sort of our as we mentioned these these high school kids who uh, who get roped into this uh, nefarious plot we have chris demetral as as Corey. we have uh we have alex thomas jr as burfid and uh, not only does he get to of course play the uh, the high school bully and 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 uh jock uh, nelson nash briefly but really and I hate to say this because it sounds like an insult, but the role that the roles that Seth Green was was born to play is exactly who he plays in this <laughs> is in this episode. The pedantic nerd arguing with other nerds to try to prove who is the most nerdy, um, and he he does a pretty good job here. And it's fun getting to hear him because he is because that's always sort of the comedy of him playing this. You know he's this small and and by all accounts very nice and, and very sweet guy and then he's playing this big you know you know kind of cocky jock and uh in nelson so getting him to kind of play maybe a more archetypal seth seth green role in this episode i thought was a lot of fun even if it's only kind of a little bit yeah of course absolutely you know he this is the guy that plays uh, chris on family guy and is responsible for robot chicken and you know mm-hmm. clearly has a love for the the nerdy side of things. So for him to get to play a role, that's a little bit more overtly uh, less of a jock and more overtly nerdy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a role that he clearly reveled in. And uh, I think even though it was a small part uh, to play that he did, uh, he did a fantastic job. He's a great voice actor, clearly. Absolutely. And then, yeah, play, as, as I mentioned, Chris Demetral is playing Corey, who is this, this main, the kind of the main character of the episode um because he's the the friend of 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 max and and terry's who gets sort of sucked into this world but i don't think there's anything particularly wrong with with his performance but i don't love it either just because i i feel like there's there's just not a lot of meat on the bone like i really like the other the other two obviously seth green which may and again maybe it's not fair to to uh compare him to such a prolific voice actor in seth green but i thought alex thomas junior as as burfid kind of the the other kind of really over the top nerd is a lot of fun and and just by comparison i think uh, chris demetral's uh Corey is just he's a lot more understated i feel like yeah it's weird i didn't quite get the whole like this guy's whole life is this video game from the way that he portrayed the character i guess like i don't know i, I guess in your mind you have a you have a stereotypical a nerd that's obsessed with a you know with a particular intellectual property and you know what that what that sounds like not that it has to be like comic book guy from the simpsons overtly over the top nerd but right. you know something something a little bit more enthusiastic it doesn't the enthusiasm i think for centuries is lost especially in comparison to the other the other two performances from our other two 
supposedly obsessed characters. Um, I think especially in that initial scene where he's introduced at the at the uh, at the mansion of of Simon Harper, where they're all sort of nerding out about the different you know full size live action props from their video favorite video games. I, I get that he's supposed to be a little bit overwhelmed and sort of. Um, not not quite incredulous but uh you know caught off guard by the amount of uh of of realness to the the things that are are in front of him but at the same time he it does just come across almost like he's disinterested in it so i feel like he it, it could have been a, a a bit different of a portrayal may have come across as as more uh more effective without going into the extreme nerd side of things <laughs> absolutely uh, elsewhere on our voice cast, we do, of course, briefly have Cree Summer as Max. Uh, playing our, our main villain of the piece, we have Tristan Rogers a, uh, as, as Simon Harper, who is uh, probably best known for work on, uh, he was on General Hospital for several years. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he does a solid job. I don't think he's like a great villain. I was kind of waiting for him to really play once he was he was doing the emperor i wanted to kind of see him go like full full crazy maniacal uh, ian mcdermott but we don't really get to that he's he's a little bit more uh you know i guess more of like a shakespeare he's a little bit more shakespearean of a villain it's very it's very these sort of these these powerful monologues of uh, of everything and he, as you kind of as you kind of begin to wonder does he even realize that this is a scam anymore? Like he, he seems to really start to buy into his own hype by the end of the episode. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, I think it's just based on the property that, that it's, it's giving an homage to you. You expect that more over the top <laughs> that, uh, that, as you mentioned, the maniacal performance um, of, of the emperor of Ian McDermott as the emperor in star Wars. So his, is very understated from beginning to end. And I think that it comes out a little bit when he finally, you know, tries to sick the sentries on Batman at the end, but I feel like it's, it's just a little bit too late. Um, I I think that most of the, most of the enthusiasm or, or the, the emotion that comes out, uh, especially in that final scene is actually from our, from our last cast member from the, uh, from our guest stars. Absolutely. And then speaking of which we have, of course, the great Patton Oswald as uh, as Eldon Michaels probably don't need to go into his uh, his his uh, IMDb page too deeply. Most people who listen to this have probably heard of him, but you know a lot of TV to his credit, stand up and and uh, a fair amount of voice acting as well. So uh, he's he is the highlight of of this episode to me. Is he's he's very and yes again he's playing a sort of very stereotypical over the top nerd but his dialogue as 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 we mentioned with um going back and forth with with Harper with uh, with Tristan Rogers's Harper as he's you know being called a you know a blasphemer in the dark regent and the the agent of evil and all of this stuff and he's countering being you know attacked by lightning powers with uh, asking to take just 10% instead of 20 i think that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty darn funny to me. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think people mostly know uh, Mr. Oswald from, of course, uh, correctly predicting how Boba Fett would survive the Sarlacc. But uh, no, just kidding. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a very dynamic actor. His voice acting, uh, it, it it's no different, I think, than 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 his general acting on whether you know him from King of Queens or the various other you know AP Bio and all the other places that he uh, has popped up uh, over the years. But uh, he clearly has a has a way of expressing the emotion um, i feel like it was a little bit distracting just because of how identifiable his voice is and matching it up with what the what the character looked like being such a unique character model for this character it sort of didn't quite mesh for me in my brain at least um, I don't think he did a bad performance. I think that final scene as he's sort of being tortured and begging, uh, begging Harper and sort of negotiating with him for the amount of royalties that he wants to receive. There was a chuckle that I had there. And I thought that that was the most effective line that he gave. And then, as I mentioned, the final scene as the kids inexplicably uh, show up to his house to apologize and deliver the the script to him and begin asking him questions, him sort of putting the bow on it with the, the homage to the very first thing you see when you watch a star Wars movie is uh, I thought that line was delivered very well and, and felt like I was watching like a, I was watching a children's cartoon at that point, like something, <laughs> something designed for, for a younger audience. So uh, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I don't think that anybody this, this week in, in uh, any of our guest stars, nor Cree Summer as Max, nor, of course, Will Friedle as uh, as Terry McGinnis slash Batman, or Kevin Conroy as Bruce. I don't think that anybody necessarily did anything over the top, or or put forth much, uh, much sort of earth earth shaking performances this week. I think everybody is fine. I think that. Overall, because of just the overshadowing almost of the of the storyline itself and, and all of these uh, these nods to to science fiction properties that that left me maybe not uh, I don't know, maybe putting putting the voice acting in the backseat. And then, then again, I think having Pat Oswalt, a recognizable voice, uh, sort of being one of your your main uh, protagonists here, ultimately, I think is it was a slightly distracting uh, to match up with that with that character model. So, uh, for all of those reasons, I uh, I gave gave voice acting a very middle of the road five out of ten. What about you? Yeah, I went just a tick higher. Uh, I went six out of ten. I I do I did really enjoy uh, Patton Oswalt as as Elder Michaels. I just think it was that was the best uh, the comedic stuff. And I will just say, while I would generally agree that this is not anything to write home about as far as the best episodes for uh, for Kevin Cobb or uh, Cree Summer or or Will Friedle, it does have maybe my favorite line in the history of Batman Beyond in it. When Batman arrives at the uh, at the Hall of Records to find a where the uh, the centuries have already broken in, he looks down and goes, "Hmm, big smoking hole could be a clue." <laughs> I laughed for like five minutes at that. I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. Like I, <laughs> I thought the delivery of Wilfredell on that line is the funniest 
darn thing that I have heard in a long time. So props to him for that. And you know uh, what that reminded me of too? That reminds me of, of like video game dialogue. Like you would hear that in, in yes. one of the Batman Arkham games or something, but you know, and I get it. They kind of have to, it's, it's supposed to trigger you to, to, to recognize this is you're on the right, right track or whatever, but it just sounds something like a video game character. And for this episode to be based on, uh, you know, all this video game intellectual <laughs> property stuff, I was like, man, if that isn't right on the nose for video game dialogue, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, or whether it was just supposed to be a funny <laughs> throwaway line, <laughs> I, whatever, for whatever reason, though, I was like, man, if that isn't perfect mirrored, uh, 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 video game dialogue there. It, I thought that I also enjoyed his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, another homage to Star Wars, I believe, in the opening scene where Terry's, uh, being pursued, uh, in the very first scene by the spaceship. He goes, uh, I can't shake him, which is a, which is a line also yes. that's uh, very prominent during the very first Star Wars movie. So, uh, very interesting there. But, uh, yeah, that line definitely, I, I laughed at that as well absolutely so yeah yeah i i i don't think anyone's great but there are a couple of lines like i said Patton oswalt's uh lines and then and then that that one line from from wilford l's uh batman definitely enough to make this memorable to me absolutely all right Liam. well that will begin to wrap us up now uh with our final scores for the day I end up with a higher than last week. That's the good news, <laughs> but still not very high at all. 23 out of 40 for this week. What about you? Yeah. And I'm a, a couple points higher. Uh, once again, this week, as I was last week, uh, uh, I am at a 26 out of 40. All right. Well, rewatchability. Uh, I already mentioned that this, this video game does get a mention later on in uh, not only this, but apparently in a Zeta project episode as well. Uh, is that enough for you to say that this is a must watch Liam? I wouldn't say this goes on must watch. I think it, that would be like saying uh, you have to watch uh, like the, the flash episode where he does the, uh, the, the energy bar commercial because <laughs> later in the justice league unlimited episode he bumps into the cardboard cutout and orion punches it right like, i i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say that's 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 a strong enough that that is likely background stuff but you know like i said i think this episode is fun especially if you do have a lot of love for star wars and other things i i can give you i can i can argue that this is a you know maybe like a, a half a thumb up <laughs> Oh my or goodness! The, the, the Orange Cassidy thumb thumbs up, as I like to say here. Right. Um, uh, that's right. But uh, but yeah, I, I can't say this is particularly integral to to Batman Beyond, nor is it integral to the DCAU as a whole, despite there being a couple of other mentions of it throughout the, uh, the this series and another one. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't I can't give this a strong thumbs up, but I, I do think there's there is a little bit of meat on the bone if you are a big fan of, of Star Wars and Star Trek and some of these other uh, sci-fi properties. Uh, I'm going to cut right to the chase. It's skip for me. Uh, and I think that there are plenty of other franchises that have done uh, better homages to Star Wars. Uh, so I'll say uh, skip this one. Uh, it's cute. It's nice, but uh, we're, we're not left with a long standing uh, 
ramifications from any of this. These characters never appear again. Uh, Corey never makes another appearance. Uh, the only characters that appear again are Bruce, Max, and Terry. So those and uh, their lives are not really affected by this in any sort of way. So I'm happy to say uh, you can just go ahead and put this one on the skip if you're if you're <laughs> you're not if you're not interested. Uh, if you want to see a, a few of the homages or maybe listen to the great soundtrack that we mentioned, uh, maybe pull up the clips on YouTube or uh, hey, fire it up on the fantastic HBO Max app uh, <laughs> if you have that uh, you know at your ready and you want to watch a couple of scenes from it. All right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for checking us out. Don't forget, uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. That's a way to support us. We would love for you to do that. And if your podcast app allows you to leave a review, you can do so for us. That would be great. A five-star review would be amazing. And a little blurb about what it is that you like would be appreciated. You can also, uh, if you uh, want to support us another way, yeah, you can check out our store at dcaureview.com and then click on the store tab. Uh, you can check out lots of merch there to support the podcast. You can also check out the link at the bottom of the pod on whatever it is that you listen to our podcast app if you want to support us that way. If you're looking to do another free way to support us, you can subscribe to us on the Pod Tower YouTube channel. That's where you get your, your weekly DCAU review episode so it's dropped in uh, sort of in your YouTube video form there. And uh, also, of course, you get content from our friends at Watchtower Database and Tim Talk. Uh, Liam, we are actually pivoting. Is it next week we're pivoting? Mm-hmm. We are actually pivoting. You'll notice that I tried to set the groundwork here uh, at the beginning of the episode. I didn't say, hey, we're in a month of Batman Beyond episodes. I said, we are in a month discussing the future. And you know what that means, Liam. Uh, Batman Beyond isn't the only futuristic television series to take place in the DCAU. That's right. The long-awaited, at last, um, we are going to be tackling the very first episode of the Zeta Project. Liam, it's, uh, we actually just, just passed the yeah. anniversary for this show debuting Um uh, and uh, I know you're excited. This has been one that you've been chomping at the bit. I've had to tell you, no, Liam, we can't review the Zeta Project this week uh, for the last 192 episodes. But fear not, our 193rd edition, we've put it off long enough. We are going to be reviewing the very first episode of the Zeta Project. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore that absolute slanderous uh... <laughs> comments you just made about my you just the assassination of my character you just you just perpetrated on this show by claiming that i like the zeta project but uh uh yeah you know we had to get to it eventually we were we were waiting uh you know we it was a convenient excuse that we review all of the batman shows in order so because we had to wait quite a while to get to the zeta episode of batman beyond it meant that we could wait quite a while to uh review the zeta project but uh hey there's a there's a finite number of all of the show the regular shows that we have been reviewing for the last few years left um uh, especially batman beyond so uh, i think yeah going forward we're, we'll be uh, we'll be pairing batman beyond months it, like you said it won't be a batman beyond month anymore it'll be a, a future month and we will probably be trading off in uh, Batman Beyond and as you mentioned next week kicking it off the first episode of the Zeta Project entitled The Accomplice 
So come right back next week and hear us uh, break down a cartoon that I don't think either of us have ever seen. So, <laughs> let's go. Let's do this, shall we? All right. Very exciting. Yes. Excited to tackle that with you next week, Liam. But until then, I'm Cal. I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the next exciting episode of the DCAU Reveal. Bye-bye.